A lot of you are buying homes now. There's like three of you in the same neighborhood, uh, which is really exciting that you get to be a homeowner. Many of you are getting to that age where homeownership is, you know, really a big deal for you. I'm sorry that I'm just a lowly renter. Uh, At some point, maybe I'll be a real boy uh, (laughs) and be able to afford my own house. Now, that's exciting. You know, that's a huge step forward in being a true American, owning your own home. Um, Hopefully, your home has a good foundation, unlike my home. Uh, My house has walls that are literally lifted up off the ground. You can stick your hand underneath uh, to the outside. It's pretty nice. So our temperature, what that means, ranges in anywhere in our house from about 10 degrees. You could be like, you know, in my living room, and there's just air pouring under the walls. We have a couple walls that are just freestanding. You can just kind of, like, move them around. I really wish they were, like, ones that, you know, you could just push back so you could slide and open up the space. I know, it's a pretty rough house, although not really. I mean, it's five acres. It's really beautiful. I pretend like I own it when my customers come over, and they're like, wow, he's really successful. (laughs) Um, But a foundation is really, really important. I don't think I need to explain that. Christianity is all about foundations. Judaism was all about foundations. We're not so good anymore, I don't think, uh, uh, at understanding foundations or even really paying much attention to them because we like the newness of things. We like things that are modern, and we like to understand, you know, where are we going, and we like to constantly look to the future. But if you're going to be a Christian, you've got to understand foundation, Okay? got to understand, Paul talks about us building a foundation on Jesus himself. The famous example of Jesus, right, is you don't build on sand, you build on rock. I watched this TV show uh, probably last year called Goliath. Anybody seen Goliath? It's, it's, it's a, kind of a lawyer show, right? It's got like three seasons. The first two seasons, no, the first season's good, the last season's good. Don't watch the ones in the middle. They're not very good, all right? But it's got Billy Bob Thornton, which I never really kind of liked that much. But there's this line in the movie that's always, or TV show that's always stuck out to me. And they're talking about this parable of the building on sand, building on rock. And he says, you know, I like to at least believe that the person who builds on rock built his house on sand multiple times until he finally realized that he had to build it on rock. And I think that's pretty indicative of how we are with our faith. We've built over and over again on sand. And finally, at some point, we'll finally figure out how to start building uh, on Jesus. So I wanted to, to share a story with you, a story that I really, really love. And it's kind of at the end of the, the biblical story, uh, you know, basically before the New Testament. And so uh, uh, the Israel in the northern kingdom has gone through now three exiles, okay? The southern kingdom, two exiles, And they're living now in the land that used to be uh, owned by the Assyrians and then the Babylonians and then the Persians, okay? So the people have been exiled for a good 70 to 100 years. And um, they're trying to kind of figure out how do we be Israel and, uh, and, and not live in our own land, okay? It's very, very tricky for them. Uh, many of us might not know this, understand it, relate to it. Those of you who maybe are immigrants or maybe minorities, you probably feel a little bit like you know, what it means to maybe not feel like you belong in the land. But this is where the Jews were. They didn't feel like they belonged where they were at. Some of them had kind of come to terms with it, were okay with it, but they weren't back home. And so the Jews that remembered their home uh, really wanted to be back there. And so they were constantly looking at every turn, around every corner, every political, you know, maneuver or nation that took power, does this mean that we're going to get back to our land, 
Okay, now again, some people have grown really comfortable. Jeremiah had already predicted this, that some people are going to grow comfortable in the land. They're not going to be interested in going back to Israel. But for the select few, the remnant, so they're called, they really wanted to go back home. Because for them, home, land uh, was wrapped up in their identity. Okay? So in comes this story of this guy named Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. You just kind of have to say it like that. Zerubbabel. Okay? It's probably Zerubbabel. I don't know. Who cares? He might care. Maybe not anymore, but maybe. And however you say this man's name, okay, was convicted by God to go back into the land and rebuild the temple of God. And if you know anything about the temple, the temple is really where people met God. We talk in this language of Christianity where God is in our hearts, and that's really nice. But back then, there was no concept of that. If you wanted to experience God in his holiness, you went to the temple and did that. Now, the temple had been destroyed already about, 100, uh, well, about 75 years earlier. And so Zerubbabel got his desire from God to go rebuild the temple. Now, the Persian king, Darius, let him do that, which is kind of this crazy moment in history. Like, why would a Persian king allow uh, him to go back into the land and build this temple. Well, he did. And this actually started this pretty exciting 70-year period where Israel gets back into a rebuilding phase. They rebuild the temple. They rebuild the walls. People rediscover the Torah. Okay? You heard that before? One of the last kings, Josiah, rediscovered the Torah in the Old Testament. And it just changed everything. Well, Zerubbabel, guess what? He's his great, 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 great grandson. Okay? And so, while the last king of Israel uh, is exiled off, this Zerubbabel guy kind of seems like he's going to be, maybe possibly, the messianic king that they've been waiting for. This guy might be it. This might be the time when they get back their land after all this time, some 600 years of downfall from when David and Solomon ruled the nation. And so you can imagine these people are very, very excited. At least those part of the remnant who really want to come back into the land. All right? So I think that gives you enough of a background for us to read Haggai. So Haggai and Zechariah, you can turn there, are the two prophets that are speaking into this time period. Okay? Haggai, Zechariah. Malachi a little bit later. And if you remember, Malachi is the last of the prophets. So, again, we're entering into this end period of the, the biblical testimony of the Jews. And so this is one of the last a time period, last dec- or last hundred years before we get this awful silence in the intertestament period. So Haggai, and I really want you to read the message. Uh, I'm, I'm big on this now. I love reading the message uh, to just sort of get the story. And then when you go back and you kind of understand the basic story, if you're interested in particular things that are confusing or hard to read, just go ahead and, um, you know, do maybe more a literal translation in RSV or something like that. So Haggai in the message. You guys there? Okay, not yet. It's fine. We'll wait for you. I'm not even there yet. Phone, internet. Okay, so I'm going to read this, but I'm also going to give a little bit of commentary as we go so that you understand where we're at uh, in this story. Okay? So, to back up just a teeny tiny bit to give you one more character's name, because, hey, at least it's not Zerubbabel. It's just Joshua. (laughs) It's much easier. While Zerubbabel is supposed to be this new kind of king guy, Josiah, or Joshua rather, is the priest guy. 
So, you know, in Israel, you kind of had these two important figures. You had the king, you had the priest. Uh, and Zechariah prophesies that Joshua, in this dream, is going to, uh, God is going to take off his dirty robes, okay, and give him new robes, meaning that they were going to forgive, or at least Israel thought of this as they were going to forgive his sins. And these new robes, he was also going to possibly be able to have a crown, Okay, so a priest, a crown, a king, Messiah, you kind of get the point here. There's a lot of hope, even from the prophets, that God's about to act, and act in a huge way. Okay? Um, Yeah, I think that gives us what we need. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, but he says one thing, and that one thing's really important, and that's that this isn't going to come through politics. It's not going to come through you joining in other nations like you have before and making deals. It's only going to come through God's spirit working uh, in you. All right, so now we can pick up. I think we've done everything that we need to do here. Um, yeah, okay. Oh, gosh, no, there's one more thing. I'm so sorry. And I want you to read this as you read. No, never mind. Let's just read that guy. I'll just point it out as we go. Okay, so on the first day of the sixth month of the second year in the reign of King Darius of Persia, God's message was delivered by the prophet Haggai to the governor of Judah. Now, this is important. Zerubbabel was the governor, not the king. That would be like the president being demoted down to, like, local mayor. Okay? So... That, that, that's a kind of a big point there, is that he's not the king of the Jews. He's just sort of this governor, and he's kind of a puppet governor at that. And to the high priest Joshua, son of, I'm not going to try to say that name. A message from God of the angel armies. The people procrastinate. They say, this isn't the right time to rebuild my temple, the temple of God. Shortly after that, God said more, and Haggai spoke it. How is it that it's not the right time for you to... How is it that it is the right time for you to live in your fine new homes while the home of God's temple is in ruins? So the very people who come back to Israel, who are excited about the temple, who are excited about the Messianic king, who want to see God come back and take his place among the people, their first thing is to go in the land and then get right to building the temple, right? Nope. First thing is to go right back to the land and start building their own mansions. Uh-oh. You can kind of see where this story is going from the outset. They're back in the land. This king of Persia, this king of all the known world, lets these people go back home, which is kind of unheard of. And the first thing they do is start working on their own stuff. Start making sure they're comfortable. They got their stuff in place, and letting the temple be in disrepair, the very reason they were allowed to go back, they're still building their own stuff. Whew, sick burn? Yes. <laughs> this is rough, and it's going to get a little bit rougher, but thankfully it gets a little bit better before it gets rougher, but then it goes back to being pretty rough. Okay, here we go. And then a little later, God of the angel army spoke out again. Take a good, hard look at your life. Think it over. You've spent a lot of money, but you haven't much to show for it. You keep filling your plates, but you never get filled up. You keep drinking and drinking and drinking, but you're always thirsty. You put on layer after layer of clothes, but you can't get warm. And the people who work for you, what are they getting out of it? Not much. A leaky, rusted-out bucket, that's what. Okay, so there's a reference here that you've kind of got to pick up. Anytime people are talked about as, you know, basically trying to do something, uh, the best example of this is Jeremiah in, in terms of broken cisterns. He talks about the people have gone out, they've dug their own cisterns to try to find water, and they haven't gotten water rather than coming to me to get everlasting life. This is idle talk. 
meaning that what he's talking about is people worshiping idols. Whenever you hear people talking about their you know, eyes see, but they can't see, or they're supposed to hear, but they can't hear, or they're trying to fill up their plate, but they can't fill it up, this is really a direct reference to their idols, okay? They're idols who are lifeless and not giving them anything. If you really want to hear a really good sermon on idols, uh, I preached it about two weeks ago. Uh, just kidding, that was a really bad one. I went back and listened to it, and man, I feel bad. But hopefully you guys read it. And you know what? One person did the devotional. One person on Monday. Oh, man, I'm so mad at y'all. Not really. It was actually kind of nice that I didn't have to write all those devotionals all week. So, Um, And I'm sure you were so busy with your own brilliant devotionals that you didn't need mine. So where are the people at? They're worshiping idols already in the land, and they're already oppressing people. They're very people who are building their homes. At least if the people who are building their homes were getting paid a fair wage, being taken care of, that'd be one thing. But they're already oppressing people. And not even oppressing people at least for something good like maybe the temple, but for their own stuff, okay? Their own homes. This is a tough situation. We're right back in the land, and basically one day later, we're already in trouble again. That's why the God of the angel army said, take a good hard look at your life, think it over. Then God said, here's what I want you to do. Climb into the hills and cut some timber. Bring it down and rebuild the temple. Do it just for me, honor me. You've had great ambitions for yourselves, but nothing has come of it. The little you have brought to my temple, I've blown away because there is nothing to it. And why? This is message from God of the angel armies. Remember, because while you run around caught up with taking care of your own house, my house is in ruins. That's why. Because of your stinginess. And so I've given you a dry summer, a meager crop. I've matched your tight-fisted stinginess by decreeing a season of drought, drying up fields and hills, withering gardens and orchards, stunting vegetables and fruit. Nothing, not man or woman, not animal or crop is going to thrive. Then the governor, Z, and the high priest, Joshua, and all the people with them listened. They really listened to the voice of their God. When God sent the prophet Haggai to them, saying this exact same message that you hear today, they paid attention. In listening, they honored God. Then Haggai, God's messenger, preached God's message to the people. I am with you. This is how God got Z, Joshua, and all the people moving, got them working on the temple. This happened on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year. Good news, right? People are back doing good. Yes. Maybe now this messianic king is coming. Jesus is going to be here. God comes down. He's going to show Israel, the nation, that they are the light to the world. They're going to finally listen for once in their uh, 2,000-year-long history. Uh, but unfortunately, we get to chapter 2. On the 21st day of the seventh month, by the way, this is a four-month period. So I, <laughs> I forgot to mention that. It's kind of important. This prophet is not like a prophet over the course of 10 years. Four months, this roller coaster happens. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of God came through the prophet Haggai. Tell Governor Z and High Priest Joshua, is there anyone here who saw the temple the way it used to be? All glorious. And what do you see now? Not much, right? So get to work. God is speaking. Get to work. Joshua, high priest, get to work. All you people, God is speaking. Yes, get to work, for I am with you. The God of the angel armies is speaking. Put into action the word I covenanted with you when you left Egypt. I'm living and breathing among you right now. Don't be timid. Don't hold back. Now, I know many of you are reading or listening to this, and you're like, yeah, this is a good story. Guys, what he just said is so important. What is he, he's referencing Egypt. He is talking to them as if they are people in the wilderness about to inherit the promised land. And so now the people are even more excited. 
Is this a new Moses coming to us? Someone who's really going to rebuild this temple even better than it was before? Finally build it in the way that it needs to be built? And then God himself will come back among us? This is super, super exciting stuff for them. Okay? This is what God the angel army said. Before you know it, I will shake up the sky and earth, ocean and field. I'll shake down all the godless nations. They'll bring bushels of wealth, and I will fill this temple with splendor. God of the angel army says so. I own the silver. I own the gold. Decree of the God of the angel armies. This temple is going to end up far better than it started out. A glorious beginning, but an even more glorious finish. A place in which I will hand out wholeness and holiness. Oh, my gosh. This is just getting better and better. And if you don't re- recognize the, you know, the degree of the excitement up here, it's okay. It's, you know, we don't, we're not going to be too worried about that. Uh, remember, we don't like foundations. We like the new stuff. So I'd have to, like, revise this story to make it seem really exciting for you. Um, I don't know how to do that, actually. That probably would have been a good idea, uh, but I didn't do it. Okay, so a few days later, message comes again. God of the angel army speaks. Consult the priests for a ruling. If someone carries a piece of sacred meat in his pocket, meat that is set apart for the sacrifice on the altar, and the pocket touches a loaf of bread, a dish of stew, a bottle of wine, or oil, or any other food, will these foods be made holy by such contact? Priests say, nope. Then Haggai says, how about someone who is contaminated by touching a corpse? If that person touches one of these foods, will it be contaminated? Priests say, yeah, it'll be contaminated. And this is where the bad news comes in. Haggai said, so this people is contaminated. Their nation is contaminated. Everything they do is contaminated. Whatever they do for me is contaminated, God says. Think back before you set out to lay the first foundation stones for the rebuilding of my temple. How did it go with you? Isn't it true that your foot-dragging, half-hearted efforts rebuilding the temple of God were reflected in a sluggish halfway return on your crops? Half the grain you were used to getting, half the wine, hit you with drought and hail. Everything you were doing got hit, but it didn't seem to phase you. You continued to ignore me. Now, think ahead from this same date, this 24th day of the ninth month. Think ahead from when the temple rebuilding was launched. Has anything in your fields, vine, fig, tree, pomegranates, olive trees, failed to flourish? From now on, you can count on my blessing. God's message came for a second time to Haggai on the most memorable day. And you get the end of the four months here. Speak to Z, the governor of Judah. I'm about to shake up everything, turn everything upside down, and to start over top to bottom. Overthrow governments, destroy foreign powers, dismantle the world of weapons and armaments, throw armies into confusion so they end up killing one another. And on that day, this is God's message, I will take you, Z, as my personal servant, and you will set you as a signet ring in the sign of my sovereign presence and authority. I've looked over the field and chosen you for the work. Man, this is good stuff. To Israel, this is really, really good stuff. The signet ring language is simply that God took away the signet ring from Joachim, which was the last king of Israel, and is now going to put it on Z, okay? He's going to get the signet ring, kind of showing that God's present signet ring, just, you know, his image, whatever, on uh, Z, okay? So we end that, and we think, man, what an awesome story. It's really good. Uh, I won't necessarily spoil the ending for you, because we're talking about good news, uh, but God goes silent for about 400 years, so you could probably get the picture <laughs> of what happens. You read Ezra, Nehemiah, and Malachi, and within a short few years, the temple is already in ruins. People are selling outside the walls. Everything that they do to rebuild Israel gets tainted by their unclean hands. Their unclean spirits, their unclean hearts. The rebuilding of the temple is tainted by all of that uncleanliness. That's that whole dead body uh, weirdness, right? 
He's saying that you're this dead body. You're basically bringing into the temple with your hands your own unclean spirit and your own unholiness. And you build the temple out of your contamination. And even if you brought a holy thing, it isn't going to make it holy. Only my presence will make it holy. And guess what, guys? God never comes to the second temple. His presence never comes back to the second temple. We don't see God's presence again until he hovers over Jesus at the cross. That is the second temple and comes back in those days. And that's a really crazy kind of thought. Okay? Um, so I want to leave you with, with two things, and I think these are really good news things. Uh, although we've got to probably frame them at least in um, some ways to sort of encourage us what not to do, what, what to do. Number one is we just need to build the temple, guys. We need to build the temple. And what I mean by that, I, um, I have a PowerPoint up here that shows just the building that we want to build for ourselves. We're going to take a fundraiser. We're going to need about 2 or $3 million in the next uh, couple months. Just kidding. We're not going to build a building. But what I do want to talk about is the temple of your body. All of us should be working out. We should be lifting. Um, you need to go get a membership at Planet Fitness. No. Not talking about either of those temples. Sorry. Yes, it's true that individually we are the temple of God, but it's also true that collectively as the church, we are God's temple. It's also true that the earth that we live in is God's temple. We need to build the temple. And guys, what matters most about the foundation of this temple is being Jesus to other humans. That's what matters most. It's not religion. It's not ritual. It's not memorization of the Bible. It is treating people as Jesus treats them. That is the foundation that Paul talks about building on. And if we're going to build the temple, we've got to treat other human beings as image bearers. It's such a fancy and great idea. It's something that daily I struggle to do and even to believe. But it is the foundation of the church. It is the foundation of our faith in Jesus. Treating people the way Jesus treats people. Treating them with dignity. Treating them uh, with the character uh, that, that he expects from all of us. Okay? We've got to take care of people and stop building our individual little houses and fiefdoms and kingdoms where we're comfortable, we're right, we feel secure, because at the end of the day, that won't bring any long-term security. Right. You'll build a new house every month, every year, until one day you're dead and realize nothing that you have built will last. And that's the good news, though. That God, in our work with each other, in the things that we build here, will last into eternity. Rick Watts says this, and it's such a neat and wonderful idea. Is when you read the Synoptic Gospels, all three of them are about the kingdom of God. And then John, in the last gospel, changes that all up. And what is he talking about? Eternal life. Kingdoms come and they go. But the kingdom of God is about giving us eternal life in him. An idea that's so fanciful, so stupid, so nobody has thought about before, really honestly, that makes no sense and is still one of the hardest things to believe as a Christian. But what we do here matters and lasts into eternity. If we are building on the foundation of Christ. Otherwise, it's swept away with the next current uh, because it's built on sand. So that should give us a real encouragement to live our lives on the foundation of who Jesus is. Because it lasts. It will not disappear. And talk about legacy or leaving you know, your mark on the world. There's no better way to do that than building on the foundation of Jesus. 
Second thing is pretty obvious. We need long-term investors in the church, guys. We need people to be invested in the church. Many of us walk away on Sundays, feel like we didn't get anything because we didn't put anything in. We didn't bring anything. Our hands are contaminated in our worship of God when we're here. I do it all the time. I've gone through my own phase of not loving church, not knowing why we're here. Some of us, you know, visit Orthodox churches or Catholic churches so we can at least have some meaning in our worship. But then walk away with no community. So if we could only just do both churches, maybe then we'd be set. But as we, we, we need long-term investors. And some of that's money. Some of you are way too stingy with your money. You do not give enough to this church, to other ministries, and you need to stop doing that. Okay? And I'm speaking out of experience here, guys. I've been very generous with what I've given to the church over the years. I've worked for this church for a year and a half for free. You need to be generous to the church. And that starts with your money. Yes, it does. I'm not going to have a whole conversation here about, well, it really starts with prayer and starts with all these other things. No, it starts with money. Because when you put money into the church coffers, you're giving people like Josh and Leslie opportunity to spend more time with other people. To train you, to do ministry, and to just teach our body. So they shouldn't have to come up here every semester trying to put up how much money we're making and, uh, you know, still asking you guys over and over and to give. I know you're young. I know you don't have much money. Get over it. You're not going to become generous when you have money. That's not how it works. Okay? You become generous now, and then you maintain that generosity, and it's really exciting. There are a few things I love in life more than giving my money to other people for good causes. It's really wonderful and great. Okay? So there's that. Quit being stingy. Number two, we need to understand who Jesus is. Okay? We need to invest long-term in really figuring out this Jesus. Guys, our culture is not opposed to Christianity. It may be opposed to the Bible. It may be opposed to religion. I said that wrong. It is opposed to Christianity. But they're not opposed to Jesus. Jesus has been such a strange and wonderful character throughout the uh, uh, tradition of the church that people have thought about and wondered about and talked about and written books about and completely gotten wrong. But people are still very much interested in Jesus. So we need to understand Jesus. We need to understand him deeply, read through the Gospels, understand, listen to uh, audios about him, read books about him, and stop doing church stuff and actually get back to who Jesus is. That is the most important thing that we can do uh, in terms of long-term investing in the church. We need to talk to God. We need to hear from him. The Spirit is no less active than he's ever been in human history. And we need to collectively know what the Spirit is doing in our church, in our community, in the capital C church. And we need to tell each other about it. We need to figure that out. We need the Spirit to speak more uh, in our midst, okay? And then the last thing, and I think probably one of the most important things, is we need to be people of character. But that's pretty obvious, okay? We need to be people of character. People who aren't contaminating the things that God is is building. These are how we invest uh, in the church long term. Okay? Um, So, yeah. So, my admonition to you before we take questions, because I went a little bit long, but not too, too long. Uh, is we've got to build uh, on the rock, which is Jesus, not on the sand, okay? That's really good news. Guys, that's super good news because, as I said before, that work lasts. It continues on. And so much of the stuff that we do with our work and even our relationships sometimes will not continue on. But it's the stuff uh, that, uh, that gets built on the rock that lasts, and people in thousands of years will be looking at it and admiring just how beautiful the architecture is, hopefully, of the church. All right, so maybe one or two questions. I don't, that wasn't too hard of a sermon, I don't think. Okay, no, no questions then. Uh, Grant, yes, your question. Hey, this is Grant from the future. I was asked to re-record uh, what I shared during the service because it didn't come through in the recording. Um, so basically, 
I woke up this morning to a dream that just seemed too coincidentally aligned with the sermon to just dismiss as a meaningless dream. Um, I don't really have an interpretation for it or know exactly what it means because it's kind of still really fresh, but I just wanted to share it for our community to discern together. So uh, some prior knowledge before I can explain the dream is that there's two kinds of foundations that are common around here. There's a slab foundation, which is where they just pour a concrete slab right into the dirt. And then there's a different kind of foundation called a pier and beam foundation, which is where there are these piers of wood or whatever that hold up the floor off the ground. And then there's a crawl space underneath the house. And I live in a house with a slab foundation. So in my dream, I was going around in my house and part of the floor was broken in and I could see like underneath the floor like a crawl space. And in my dream, I was like, wait a second. I thought I had a slab foundation. How is it that I'm that there's space under my floor and that it's broken in. And I looked closer and there were like animals living down there and I like scared them away. And I was just looking at the situation like, man, this is not good. This is such a waste of resources and time and energy. Like, well, why did this happen? And I didn't remember like consenting to this work being done in my house or letting anyone in, but somehow they got in and did it. And I was like, was I just really confused? Or like, why did I let this happen? Because this if we finish this project, it's going to go all the way to the cabinets on the floor and they're not going to be able to open. Like, this just doesn't make any sense. I already had a foundation. Why is there another foundation in my house? Um, Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. And, yeah, again, I don't totally know what that means or how it applies, but it just seemed worth sharing. What do I think? (laughs) I think it's great. I'm, I'm going to leave it there. I think it's an excellent image. I don't think we need to talk about it. We just need to think about it. It's a wonderful image. Uh, yeah, questions? Yeah, the question is, this contamination uh, reference in Scripture, what is he ultimately talking about? What, how do we deal with that? Well, it's obviously sin, right, in the scriptural sense. We're cleansed of sin. Um, but we just have to always understand that just because we've been cleansed of sin doesn't mean that sin doesn't impact the way that we build and the way that we do things. Um, and so as a church, we've got to continually hold up people uh, to a high standard, and our ministers in particular, uh, that we're not going to let ministers come in here that you know sound really good, uh, or are very impressive, um, but people who really love God. And I think that's a big part of it, and that our leaders are not going to be people who are really impressive and can do a great job of preaching and, you know, seem like they're really super Christian and spiritual, but they're people who really do love God, and they show that in the treatment of people. So I think that's at least one thing. Any others before we end? <coughs> Grant, thanks for sharing that. That's really awesome. Lord God, we love you. We know this church is built by you. It's not built by us. Help us to take um, Paul's admonition to us to not build on this foundation with hay or even costly silver and gold, but to build um, on top with things that will last, Lord. Help us to just take this to heart. Uh, When we look at our lives and take stock, as always, uh, that we uh, will will know that we're forgiven for building our own little houses, that you always invite us back 
to work on your church and to work on the mission that you have in the world. Help us just to remember that, to think about it, um, just to know and be excited that the things that we do here really do matter and will last into eternity. Um, that we'll get to be able to look at all the things that you've done from beginning to end and just marvel at your creation, Lord, at your architecture, at your brilliance. We love you, Lord. Amen. All right, guys, thanks. Um, hey, everyone. We're going to do some announcements somewhat quickly because I'd really love for us to be able to sing one more song, respond, have some time to, as a community, as a people, respond to God and worship him, turn to worship after hearing Brad's sermon. Thanks again, Brad. So we'll do these somewhat quickly. What do you guys think the first one is? What's the first announcement? Last couple of weeks. Retreat. Retreat. That's right. So retreat. You guys know the details. Should be behind me. Uh, dentonorchurch.com slash retreat or use the QR code. Please register. We'd love for you to come. It's a chance for us to get to spend more time together, build stronger relationships, be a people that reunites under our mission and vision, worships God without as many time constraints. You know, you get it. I don't need to sell it to you. It should be something you're pumped about because I'm pumped about it. Amen. What'd you say? What? Oh, okay. Ryan's talking to somebody else. Um, next thing is the Dolores' meal train. Um, Nate, are you here somewhere? Yeah. He's here. How, how's the baby? Baby's good? Let's, let's keep giving them food so they can keep surviving and getting used to having two kids. And it also sounds like they have a house full of lots of other family too right now. So <laughs> anyway, let's love on the Dolores family, help them adjust to this season of life. And you can go find the link to the meal train in our newsletter and also on Mighty Networks, which I'll give a quick plug for. That's our sort of social network. That's a way of talking to each other during the week and interacting with each other. You can get to that at com slash mighty and join that and keep up with it. Download the app, all that stuff. Don't miss out on it. The next thing, Tate, will you come talk to us about the prayer meeting this week? Whatever she says, you, I'll just times it by two. Just definitely go to the prayer thing. Okay. Yeah, so this Thursday, um, we're going to be having our monthly prayer meeting. It'll be at my house um, at 7 p.m. And if you've never, if you don't know what the prayer meetings are, we typically, it's a group of us. um, Kurt and Don are kind of the instigators of it. Um, But we meet and we just, we pray and we pray about different topics and different people will lead. But it's honestly... It's honestly one of my favorite things to do with this community is to just sit and pray and it's really um, edifying and I think it's just a really great way to serve the larger church because we are essentially praying for the larger church and the community and individuals in the community. So I just really want to encourage you guys to come. Um, so it'll be this Thursday at 7 and this month we're going to focus on a combination of scripture and prayer and that's kind of under the umbrella of what we've been talking about. Um, of apprenticeship to Jesus. Um, We'll break down the Lord's Prayer for the first half of the night, and then we'll pray for the GNC retreat, the second part. So that's a great way to just, if you don't know what to do, just come and pray for our church and people in our church. Um, So yeah, I encourage you to come. Yes. Time's due. Um, Last couple of things. Spark, which is our, our family of churches, has something called Spark. There we go. Um, and this is for people, if you're in the la- the first sort of like four to five years out of college, transitioning into adult life, 
we have a bunch of people in all of our churches that are in that stage and in our church as well. And so what we're doing is just meeting together as a family of churches, hanging out, talking about topics that are important to transitioning into our, our faith as adults, into people who are Jesus, to other people in our lives, and doing that together. And so the next one's going to be hosted in Arlington, which is the church that was planted after we were planted a few years later. And so if you guys haven't had a chance to hang out with some of the Arlington folks and meet them and interact with them or even visit them, then that's a great opportunity to do that. So there's the details there, um, and don't miss it. And then the last thing is giving. Brad gave a pretty good plug for that, but I just wanted to tell you where to go for that. So dentnorthchurch.com slash donate or on Venmo where you can give. And like Brad said, we're all about really trying to build what God's doing, looking for kingdom opportunities. One, if that means planting other church in the next few years, we want to be able to say yes to God about that. Pouring back into you guys, meeting needs in our community and in our city, that's our priority there. So I'm going to say a short prayer, and then our worship team is going to lead us in another song. Lord, thank you so much for just the message um, that you've given us in your word and, um, and just in scripture. And thank you for the truths that are just evergreen long-term. Help us to learn from the story of your people, the story of Israel, and just how you would have us live and um, be Jesus and be your people and honor you and help build your kingdom and just um, point to you as eternal life. Um, Lord, thank you for being patient with us. Here I pray, amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.